We are all in this together. Everything will be okay. We'll get through this. This isn't forever. This is just right now. And you know, whatever other uh, banal aphorisms every corporation is patronizing us with. So, yeah, pandemically yours, Paul Jarvis, and cue the intro. sir how are you i am good i'm so sick of those like tweets and commercials i can't wait till we get to a time when everything isn't how much big corporations love us during coronavirus <sighs> everything will be okay you should keep buying our expensive louis vuitton bags and the likes everything will be fine how many louis vuitton bags do you have do they make bags i have about three Tree fitty, maybe? Last time I counted. So what are we talking about today? I think we got a mixed bag of uh, topics to cover everything from Amazon to venture capital to, I don't know, whatever, whatever else, whatever else we've got on the go. A mixed Louis Vuitton bag. Okay. A mixed Louis Vuitton bag. This episode is sponsored by. Yeah. I mean, first off, I just found out that Zoom just acquired Keybase. That doesn't make unless they're trying to improve the security of their product and they want experts on board, which is what I hope. That makes sense. It's a thing because yeah. Zoom's a, a pile of dog shit. Security, <laughs> Where wise, privacy yeah. and security. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that's a good thing. Strategic acquisition. They they bought them. I reckon. Well, I don't know, but I reckon they bought them to get the expertise. Oh, for sure. Aqua hire all the way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, fair play to Zoom. I mean, it's funny because I, I see DHH going mental on Twitter at them. Uh, not mental, but he was calling them out. And interestingly, the CEO replied and they had a conversation. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is good. So as much as Zoom is getting the bad press right now, um, a good sign to me is that someone actually replies and cares. Like, that's a good sign yeah. in my books. I mean, that's DHH's MO though. Like he called out, um, I think it was probably WordPress and Matt the guy who started WordPress on Twitter. And then they had a conversation and it was on the, whatever their podcast is called the Basecamp podcast. Rework. And they talked about it and it was, it was a civil, yeah, it was a civil conversation. So that just, that I guess you can't, it's harder to have civil conversations on Twitter versus on a real time phone call. Yeah. Well, dude, remember that guy that got angry at us and then had a conversation with him and he was actually really helpful. Yeah. First time I ever had that. So weird. <laughs> the open source guy. Good times. Okay, then. So you you wanted to talk about venture capital today. Yeah. Which is interesting. We can start there, okay. I guess. I think it's weird. To me, venture capital seems a lot like, because I guess my background um, is like music and bands, venture capital seems like a record deal where you only really get offered record deals when you don't need a record deal when you've already got fans you're already selling records albums cds lps cassettes eight tracks mm -hmm. mini discs 
is there anything else? No, I think that's probably all of it. Streaming, all that. You don't really get those offers until you don't need them. I kind of see VC as the same. Like we have been offered maybe a dozen, maybe more actually, um, requests from venture capitalists to to talk and and, and talk about investing in Fathom. And I, I will note that I think it's funny that I never get these. You personally get every single venture capital request. I don't know why. Uh, we've, we've been through this. No, no, no. We've been through this. When you type in at use Fathom on Twitter and you click on people, I come up. You have some random thing about barnacles or sailing as your bio. You are a beautiful whereas I panini. I have mine as use for, <laughs> Oh, a beautiful panini. There we go. It's always changing. Yes. Who knows what's coming next? So that's why they don't find you. Because that's all they do. They go onto Twitter. They look at who's the person who's behind this and they don't see you. So they message me. I also think it's partly because your name is first on the website, which... No, nothing to do with it. <laughs> okay. What about the fact that you look like you're 16 and I nothing. feel like venture capitalists are like, oh, this guy is so young yes. that we can offer him anything and he'll just say, yes. Okay. Firstly, yes, the picture on Twitter is old, but... I was actually, You're actually 18 67. in that picture. Yes. Um, so, no, they'd go onto Twitter, they type it in, and I've said to you, you know, if you're getting a bit jealous with all this attention from the VCs, you know, they're off the shoulder and all that over here, put your, put at use Fathom, and you will get all the love from the VCs. Hey, Paul, let's give you money. Yeah, so Spend this money. Hey, here's, a, here's a few million dollars. So why don't, why don't we want... Uh, why don't we want venture capital? Why don't we want to take investments? That seems like if somebody was offering us a million dollars um, to invest in Fathom, why would not? Why wouldn't we take that, Jack? It would fuck things up. And as I said the other day, if they were giving us millions of dollars personally, I could find plenty of things that I could spend millions of dollars on in my own personal life. If they're giving money to the business and they're investing, um, it would just add complexity we would then be in charge of managing people to do things that we want to do. And we'd be trying to move too fast. And I kept on trying to tweet something yesterday and I couldn't quite get the wording right. So uh, you've got companies that obviously are focused on the profit for the shareholder, but surely they get the profit for the shareholder by focusing on customers. Because I'm thinking to myself, everything we do, it's a case of how will this benefit our customers the most how will we get the biggest impact for our customers do companies that get a vc just not do that or do they do that and then if they aren't getting the returns they then get pressure from the investors what do you think it's a split focus i think at that point because you basically have to go from making sure your customers are happy to making sure your customers and your investors are happy and i think sure sometimes they can both line up it depends on the investor Right. And it depends on depend would depend on the fund and all of that. But a lot of VC is about let's see how quickly we can scale this thing and grow this thing. That doesn't always keep the existing customers' best interests in mind. And let's because venture capital doesn't always care about the longevity of a company. They want to get their return, they want to get a return as quickly as possible. And I think the other thing that you and I have kind of talked about privately that I guess we'll talk about publicly now is we don't really have that. We wouldn't have that much use for that money right now. Right. Like yeah. we already make uh, enough to pay ourselves. 
we have a decent customer base. Our revenue and profit and all that increases. We talked about MRR in that last episode, but not really. <laughs> um, but it wouldn't change that much. And I feel like we're moving at a pace that is good right now because as soon as we unleashed you full time <laughs> on things, it just became a lot easier to work through some of the things that we've had on our plates for a while. Um, and so having that money come in, I don't think would do that much for, like it wouldn't solve any specific problems for us that we have right now, I don't think. Well, that's just it. We're not moving slow, we're moving fast. Um, no, I think the only things we've spoken about with regards to money are hiring someone to handle the support because obviously with increased customers, support goes up. But there's no desire to get a development team in because I always think, okay, then I've got to manage that development team. I've then got to approve things and I've then got to put processes in place to manage access and all this stuff. Um, it's just not worth it. And the rate we're growing at is completely, it, it's maintainable. Because we're yeah. doing stuff and then we're going back, we're refactoring it, making sure it's good, making sure it's going to perform well long term. And we're not rushing ahead. We're not moving fast and breaking things and um, I hate that talking to Congress. So much. We're, we're all in yeah, this well, together about moving fast and breaking things. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hell no. Can you imagine? I mean, I want to I want to move fast, but I want to take my time refactoring code i mean you're the same with design mm -hmm. you refactor your design um so no really it was a case of both of us going full time we know the vision we don't want to manage people we are both on the same page with regards to if we ever do hit a roadblock where we need external expertise we will hire freelancers um who, who obviously charge more because they're freelancers but we would rather pay more. Pay a it's not really paying a premium because they haven't got benefits and everything else. Mm -hmm. But we'd rather pay ad hoc for their assistance on a case-by-case -case basis. And you get what you pay so. for with freelancers or anything. So if we're, high, if we're bringing on a freelancer and we're hiring somebody at the top of market, we don't need to manage them. We don't need to teach them. You don't need to sit there reviewing every single line of code, right? So it's worth be it. be better than me. <laughs> it's worth it to hire somebody who knows what they're doing. And obviously those types of people cost more. It's funny because I think we both come from a freelancing background. And I, I know some people who definitely like to, who own companies and software, who like to really grind on prices. And I, I don't know. I just, I feel like, if somebody quotes me a price as a freelancer, I either say yes, and I'm not going to negotiate, or I, I don't want to, or I don't work with them. Like I never want, because I hated that when I, when I did service work, I hated when I'd be like, oh, well, this project cost $10,000. And they're like, well, what if we, what if we, we have like $3,000? And then I'm like, well, no, it's $10,000. they are like, what if we meet in the middle? It's like, yeah, meet in the middle at $10,000 because that's my fucking rate, guy. Like, <laughs> this is a good upsell for your creative class course. Um, talking about, talking about giving deliverables and then taking things out and pricing them per deliverable yeah and so if they do get you on price you can say okay we'll remove this exactly so it's itemized i always liked that yeah and when i hired i never did it but i like the idea <laughs> in theory, i would have loved to have had that it was a good idea yeah. for you yeah but for well, a lot of people in practice too yeah just not me yeah Normal. i just think for freelancers if they quote me a price uh, it's either a yes or no like yeah i can afford it and let's move forward or no i can't afford it or i can't afford it right now um yeah 
and it's not I, i'll never i'll never try to grind a freelancer on price ever it's just like a point it's oh, like a point God. of principle for me because i did freelancing for so fucking long so i think that covers i think i guess the only other thing i would say on venture capital is, or or on investment is i don't think that it's wrong i think a lot of people think that mm, paul jarvis the company of one thinks that like vc is evil or investment is evil and i don't i just think it doesn't always make sense so I think if there was a situation where you and I knew that Fathom could do well, but we didn't have the time or the finances to work on this, like the reason we could both work on Fathom before it was making us a full-time salary is because we were making decent money doing other things. If, it, sure. if that was not the case and we just didn't have the money to make our vision come true and we saw that there was growth, we saw that there was opportunity, then, yeah, maybe something like VC would make sense in that case. But since that wasn't what happened with us, it, it doesn't make sense. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll put a bow on on that part well, of the conversation. Hold your, hold your horses. Okay, I'm undoing the bow. <laughs> yeah, well, no. <laughs> we're, we're, all we're, do, we're just talking about hiring. Mm-hmm. Why else do people get venture capital? Because someone's sitting there listening, thinking, yes, that's fine. You're talking about hiring. You don't need staff. But there's other stuff you can do with venture capital. What else do people do with venture capital? They get the board. So the, the VC brings some sort of board member who is meant to help you through everything. I don't know. But they must. VC must bring other stuff. It can't just be, here you go. Here's $10 million and you can now work on your product full time. Well, I could have done that on, you know, X thousand. Yeah. I, part of it is that they want to help you steer the direction because they think they know better because they have experience probably. And I think it depends on the VC as well. Like there's some VC, like um, Y Combinator, you have to, oh, I don't know if it still works like this because of COVID, but you would have to go there and there's boot camps and there's like, they have a whole process for getting people to make the most of, I guess, the money that they're giving you. Right. And some, I don't, there's never not strings attached. <laughs> like it would be silly to think that, oh, if somebody's offering us like a million dollar investment, that it's just going to be like, here's a million dollars. See you later. Okay. So, but, but that's obviously to bring someone in as an expert. So there, is it just a buy-in so they can have their say and make the company bigger? What do people use the venture capital for once they get it? Uh, paid acquisition, a lot of the times. like putting... that's, And that's what I think as well, yeah. paid acquisition, which we don't do. Yeah, yeah I mean, just things like that or offsetting um, money now versus money later. So doing things like having a 30-day free trial with no credit card required for a product where you think <laughs> hell yeah because no. that'll get a lot of customers in the that'll get a lot of trial sorry it'll get a lot of trials not customers in the door the churn might be high but if you try to compete on volume and put a fuckload of paid acquisitions against something like a massive free trial with no credit card then you're basic it's basically a gamble that it'll pay off in the future at some point Okay, and I'm glad you mentioned this. So uh, Matthias, the last name, he's the chap that runs Oh Dear uh, app. Matthias Genial. Sorry, Matthias. I don't know how you say his name. (laughs) He asked, yeah, well, he tweeted me today and he said, Fathom requires a credit card when signing up. Have you guys done any experiments with non-credit card trial to check conversions? So have you found the credit card up front hinders signups? And I read this, just I woke up, I read this, and my immediate answer, yes. 
we 100% know that yeah. this will reduce signups and it's 100% intentional. But I didn't really want to say that because it felt like obnoxious. Like, yeah, I knew about that. I wanted to actually go into why we do this. Why don't we want hundreds of thousands of customers coming through the door with no credit card on file? Yeah, and I mean, it is obvious. Like if you run a SaaS company and don't realize that having roadblocks like that on trials is going to limit the number of trials you get, you shouldn't be doing it. Like it, it's, I know what you're saying, like it's obvious and we obviously knew that that was obvious, but there's obviously, <laughs> I'll say obviously four more times, um, but there's reasons for that, like you said. And a part of it relates to what we were just talking about with VC where we are okay with not growing at exponential rates because yeah, I guess even, even though, though we are, we are. Still, not growing at even more <laughs> exponential, exponentially exponential rates, <laughs> exponential squared. I don't think that there's a problem with limiting that because what would happen, say we removed the credit card requirement and bumped it up yeah. to 14 days or 28 days. What would happen tomorrow? <laughs> jack so yeah we would have an absolute flood of people coming i mean we already get a lot of trials with the credit card right so you remove the credit card requirement you're going to have people kicking the tires bombarding the support absolutely bombarding the support um you're then going to be torn between handling the support and this is probably when we'd need that 10 million dollars of vc to hire 100 support people yeah. um because you're not going to be able to do it so right now we have a manageable and it can be a lot sometimes, but a manageable amount of support, which we can balance alongside new features. I can't even imagine timesing it by 10 with the signups. I mean, that would just be insane. And when you so think about easy, it, easy most choice. support happens in the first month. Like most support happens when people are setting things up with Fathom. Yeah. And yeah. once it's set up, it doesn't like they don't, there's no more support required. So if all of our support, probably like more, probably 90% or more of our support is front loaded to the first probably seven to 15 days, I don't want tire kickers taking up most of that time. Like uh, it, yeah. it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. I want our support to be like, I want to prioritize people who are giving us money. Like that to me also, makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's also the thing of uh, you you use a product when you trust the makers as well. Mm -hmm. I don't really want people using a product before they trust us. Um, I like the fact that we have a lot of trust marketing going on where people learn about it. It's, it's funny. I say marketing, but it's we're transparent. They can come onto this podcast, listen to us, see if they like us, see well, yeah, what they think about us, basically. And then they can decide, okay, I will put my credit card into this form. I don't necessarily want people that don't trust us that question us, that are just like, yeah. you know, what are you about? So I like the fact that we pre-qualify people with all our marketing and everything else, and then they decide. I think that just makes much more sense. And then on the end side, once they finish the trial, so imagine we've got a thousand people over the next week join, right? They get to the end of their trial in 30 days, then they have not got their, say imagine 80% haven't got a credit card on file. What do you do? Oh God, that's so much chasing. Involved. disable their stats what do you do yeah I, I would it'd be horrible so i think that would be a moronic move to make but if someone wants to do it i have no problem with that just for, for us to do that it would be stupid and it's working for us right now and i appreciate iterative testing or a b testing 
but right now neither of us have a problem with our growth or our really low churn or anything like that so I don't think you need to test thing you don't need to test everything right like I mean we a b tested the cat illustrations we probably ran about 36 a b tests I'm just kidding we didn't do anything like no. that. <laughs> that would be funny though but I was thinking trying to remember <laughs> But that's the thing, like we, you don't need to, you don't need to A-B test everything, right? Like if things, things are working fine, neither of us have a problem with the revenue that Fathom is generating and the growth that we're seeing. So I wouldn't want to test that because the result of that test could mean a shit ton more work for us and and work that isn't as important as the work we're currently doing. Work that we don't want to do necessarily because we want to focus on features. It's that case of don't fix what isn't broken. So that's what it comes down to. And also the goal for me, and I don't know how you feel about this, but the goal for me was always to be able to work full time on Fathom. And now that we're there, it's really a case that the goal is to just keep on improving things for customers to continue to be the leading product on the market. And that's just it really. Constant improvement. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I tweeted about that um, the week that we were recording this about how there's like a new competitor of Fathom every week. And oh, yeah. I don't worry. About, and it's, I guess there's kind of a, di- there's like competitors and there's competitors that are basically copying you. And I think that the, the copies obviously, I, but I guess I don't really care about the copies because I think it's doing a disservice to their brand, to their audience, to everything else. Like it yeah. doesn't, and com- competition just lights a fire, I think, under both of our asses to be like, okay, how can we continue to make Fathom the best simple privacy focused analytics products out there? How can we continue to surprise and delight our customers by making Fathom much more valuable? And how can we continue to make it fast knowing that we are processing a lot more data than somebody just starting out like the amount of refactoring and speed and database and hashtag nerd shit that you do (laughs) on a constant basis is like if those competitors like one or two things will happen They, they won't find enough market share to continue going because they're not making enough money which that happens in business or two they do see that and they're going to end up where we were a little while ago where it's like, okay, how do, how do you deal with millions of data points a day? <laughs> because there's a lot of work that goes into being able to not just have like a MySQL database on a server in Iceland or something, right? Like it's, it, it, there's a lot more work to, to deal with scale than just here's You're one such instance. a troll. Uh, yeah, I don't really give a shit though. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, let's, let's think about some of the funny uh, quote unquote competitors we've had. So two popped to mind. There was one person, he ran a paid advertising company and then decided that in addition to running that agency, he was going to launch privacy focused analytics, which was just a uh, Matomo rip. So that one, I was just, I was like, what is going on here? Is someone playing a prank on me? That was funny because Matamo is open source. So he basically just installed Matamo on a server and charged money for it. Which, what an absolute I mean, plunker. If he, make, if he makes money off of that, I'll be, like, I'll be impressed if he makes money off of that. Because it's just, it just, it doesn't, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. 
And what about there was a kid, I, I believe it was a kid in India who was replying to, oh, I forget now, but replying to a bunch of threads. Oh yeah. Every time Fathom, Fathom, every time Fathom came up, he would try to promote on Hacker News. He would try to promote his <laughs> product. <laughs> and then he was tweeting about how it kept on going offline so it is quote when we have people like that i mean obviously i'm not i feel no um no hard feelings towards the person it's all taken in jest right it's yeah. all fun and games but it does give me a good kick um so yeah i enjoy i enjoy some of the competition or people that lift your copy and they don't change it they just copy it word for word I, I feel I like, that. I mean, possibly a bit of ego, but I feel like the way that I've approached the design of analytics has become a trend in our space now. Like analytics before Fathom looked very much like Matomo or Matomo or however you call fucking Pickwick yeah. or Google yeah. Analytics. Like analytics looked a very specific way. And then I did the UI for Fathom and it had like that big dark box at the top with totals. And then these, yeah. it just seems like all analytics products look the same now because they all look like that. And we, Fathom was in market probably six, nine months before any of these competitors. So it's not like I copied them. No, so, for sure. And it's just like, I don't, I don't care about that. And like, I honestly don't care about that because we've come to the designs that we have for the product based on using it and customer feedback and, and things that work for us and our brand and our customers. So if people are just going to be like, oh, this is what analytics should look like because this is what Fathom looks like. Then again, they're doing a disservice, just like if they copy my CSS and HTML. <laughs> Like one, I'm not which the best happened. coder, which, yeah. Yeah. which I'm not the best coder, but two, it's like, that's not, that's, that's not helping you. You think that you're getting ahead by just copying what we do, but it's actually doing the opposite. No, 100%. And you have to innovate in some way and come, come with it, come, come fresh into the, um, into the competition. People just don't do that. So, but it's still, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to watch ha happen. And I, I mean, I've seen stuff, people don't realize how obvious it is that they're copying you, but you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, we're the market leader, so it's expected that people will copy us in some way. And uh, good luck to them, you yeah. know? Good luck to them. Exactly. Competi like I said, competition just lights a fire under both of our asses. It's almost only... funny how much it pushes us to do better. Oh, it's, <laughs> I, I was talking to my wife about this, and I said there was a, a competitor that copied a lot of the things Paul did with regards to marketing. And uh, no one else had done it. And I said, I said to my wife, I said, they have woken like a sleeping giant, <laughs> a sleeping dragon or sleeping giant because just, yeah, craziness ensued. So competition is good because competition motivates you. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a reality. And I would hate to have no competition. I'd hate for people to not have a choice. I like winning customers. Exactly. I don't want us to be chosen because we're the only one they can choose. So, yeah. And I mean, anyone, and we've said this before, like, the market share of everyone that isn't Google Analytics is maybe one, it's like a percentage or two, right? Yeah. So anytime that anybody takes away from Google Analytics or Google in general is a win. Like if it's a privacy focused product Agreed. that respects the, the visitors of a website's privacy and GDPR and PECR, PECR or CPPA, if it respects any of those things, then it is 100% a win. Absolutely agreed. You want us so, to talk about some nerdy stuff, I think. 
Well, it's not nerdy. It's it's more economic. It's more political. It's a mixture of things. So okay. we use we use Amazon Web Services, and I've just been thinking about Amazon for a while, as have you, as has everyone. And I've always thought to myself, if someone doesn't like their job at Amazon, just quit. I've thought I've thought along those lines, and I've always always thought, well, it's a free market and everything else. Now, I was I was watching something yesterday, and it really hit me hard. When does capitalism stop being a free market? Because clearly capitalism, and and I'm Mr. Capitalist, I love capitalism, but I understand the limits of capitalism. Um, Well, not as well as I thought I did, apparently, because yesterday it hit me in the face. Um, I was watching, I think it was Joe Rogan and Tim Pool or someone like that. I always thought this Tim Pool guy, I always thought he was really right wing and I've got him uh, muted on Twitter and he's too much for me. But he made a fascinating point about Amazon. Um, So... Communism is obviously one of the worst things that a society can go through or can be under. But if Amazon's got such incredible control through its resources, aren't we just getting close? It's not communism where the government controls it, but it's as good as communism because a single entity controls it, Jeff Jeff Bezos. And I that concerns me. Um, and I think to myself, well, that's where regulation needs to come in. That's when you get those, anti, um, those anti-monopoly laws. Because... Us alone as consumers, we're not going to break Amazon up. It's just too convenient. It's too integrated into everything. Um, but you shouldn't just say, oh, this really amazing service, this really efficient ser- service should just be destroyed. But it does make you think, should this be split up where the one person doesn't have control over this ridiculous amount of stuff? I mean, he has con- he has his control over everything. And I don't know. I, I've always heard people bashing Amazon and I've just thought, yeah, okay, here's another one bashing Amazon. But it's just got me thinking. Because you hear what I'm saying, though. It, we're branching close to a communism-like control structure where a single a communist party or a single entity has all this sway. Jeff Bezos can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, and yeah, I'm, it's, I'm just becoming a bit uncomfortable with it. And then I'm thinking more about what politicians need to do. Because I don't think it's up to us. We pay our taxes we vote people in they're the ones that are supposed to deal with this shit yeah i mean that's why i always <laughs> i don't think you're gonna say what i was gonna say <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna say that it's funny though what? what i was just gonna say that that's why the public shouldn't have voted on fucking brexit like hire <laughs> vote in people who know how to do things so you don't have to make decisions because people may make the wrong decisions because nobody can be that informed on every subject. But no one knew. You had both sides that were elected saying, do this, do that. Uh, full disclosure, I don't care about Brexit. I didn't vote and whatever it hap- whatever happened, happened. But they had people that were supposed to know. You had Boris's bus, you had Mr. Corbyn, you had everyone who was talking about this, that and the other. And, but they were talking you know, about it from a politically motivated um place like boris's bus was mostly lies but he wanted to get elected to realize i can't even remember at this point he's a genius by the way you know i told you about that bus thing so for people that aren't aware this is i think that this is his fiance behind the scenes because she's meant to be really really good at this kind of stuff this press stuff um he had boris had a bus right and it said about how the money would go to the nhs or something like that in an interview he spoke about how a random interview he spoke about how he spent his spare time <laughs> building toy buses bus models so then to try and influence the seo response to boris bus and i mean that's just 
you know, yeah. politics aside for a moment, genius. that's well that's played. Yeah. <laughs> that is really clever. So, so back um, to back yeah. to us. <laughs> Sorry to derail it with Brexit. Um, back to what you were talking about with Amazon. I think that, yeah, I think that too much, too much, and not just for this, but for a lot of things, too much is put on individual choices like the the reason the environment the reason we're having a problem with the environment is because individual choices we use fucking plastic straws or we don't recycle <laughs> enough and that's bullshit because that's such a tiny thing right and if there were government policies in place or more stringent laws on corporations because most of the pollution is not individuals it's because there are lax environmental laws for industry and for corporation i think the same the same can be said about um like pseudo monopolies because it's not technically a monopoly right i mean you can kind of make a point either way but there mm-hmm. they do so much to incentivize the government and to lobby the government at the same time trying to avoid paying taxes to the government <laughs> and it's like it's yeah. not up to us to to make these it's not I guess it's not entirely up to us. And I think this is what's being sold to us because corporations are smart, just like Boris Johnson and his bus model thing. Corporations <laughs> are smart to say like, well, the environmental problem is because like if we just re if we just you if we just stop using plastic straws or if we just recycle more, then we can fix things. And that takes the blame and the responsibility off of them and puts it on us when I don't think that's the case. It's just like with it's not up to consumers to break up monopolies. Exactly. And it's funny, so, like I was, sorry, one more point about Amazon. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I tweeted about um, my book and it was available on Amazon. And somebody was like, I can't believe you, you sell your book on Amazon. It's like, you should be ashamed <laughs> of yourself. Like they're evil. And I'm like, what did I say? Actually, I said something like, I, I wish I was in a privileged enough place that my ethics could be so black and white as yours. Because there's way more nuance than that. <laughs> oh, of course it is. With, with how much they're integrated into society, it's just, um, it's far more complex. So coming back, to, or even moving on to the actual, <laughs> what do we value in life? I value freedom. And to me, capitalism is a means to freedom. However, Amazon having a monopoly and being able to sway like they do to be a huge employer where they can violate employee rights, where people die, all this stuff you, you've heard about, um, I don't think that's right. I really don't think that's right. And I think that that's anti-capitalism. In the same, realistically as well, in the same way that you've got the the US putting, I think there was tax on imports or various other things. I don't think that that's capitalism. I don't think that that's necessarily, it's tricky when you go global because if some countries aren't as capitalist, it does get messy. So forget about that for a moment. I don't think it's beneficial to our freedom if we have these companies that have so much control over so many things in society. I really don't. And like I say, I'm the most capitalist person ever. Um, But I do just... I mean, it's like I see Justin Jackson tweeting about how we need to go back to all these little shops and everything. And my first response is, the reason Amazon do so well is because they've optimized everything, right? They've optimized everything to make the most money, to be the most uh, easiest to use and everything else. But again, I still come back to this thought now they they should not be this big. They should not have this much control because it's negative to our freedom. But I I mean, what's the solution? If they're just then lobbying the government, the governments then or the 
the person who's being elected. We don't know what's going on. I mean, they're doing a presidential campaign right now. Who's paying Trump? Who's paying, uh, is it Joe Biden? Is the Democrat Yeah, probably. <laughs> so who's paying them? Who's lobbying them? We just don't know. Yeah. So I don't, I am becoming more concerned about monopoly-like behavior in capitalism and just seeing that correlation alongside what communism looks like, that's really left a mark in my mind and it's just making me think a bit more yeah i think if i and i think about like the the big anti-monopoly things that have happened like with bill gates and microsoft i don't think that yeah. would happen now i think corporations <laughs> are more powerful than governments now and so it's i don't the media th yeah that wouldn't that wouldn't happen Who controls the media yeah a few people I disgusting. Jeff Bezos owns a fucking newspaper, right? Like that's why I don't read it. I don't like left or right. I don't give a shit. I'm. I won't. I won't read it. Yeah. It's controlled by people with motivations. Uh, give me impartial news. Very, very hard to get. Yeah, I mean, Jared Kushner also owns a, a newspaper slash media outlet. Like it's surprise, just, surprise. So the one thing that to to, to bring this a little uh, to zoom out a little bit. Positivity. On this, oh, I guess positivity. I like that for, it seems like for the first time, and I don't know how long, it seems like at least some people right now are listening more to science and politicians. Like, at what other time in, in recent history have scientists shared stages with politicians to give, um, like, <laughs> updates or information, or to, like, disseminate information to the masses? Which I think yeah, is... Yeah, that's very true. Like, it's, it's interesting, and I, I like that. I like that. Because science doesn't give a shit if you believe in science or not. It's still science. It's still... There are still facts. There are still truths in science. And obviously, everything, especially with this COVID thing, like, it, things evolve and things change. And originally, the who was like, oh, cloth masks don't, don't work. And now they're like, yeah, cloth masks are better than nothing. So, I mean, things evolve <laughs> and things change, but... Uh, at least I would hope that science is less motivated by, by I guess, subjective things than objective things. I think science is more focused on objectivity and discerning truth, not my truth or the truth of this political campaign. Dep but it depends truth. on the science. I mean, yes. the sciences are getting challenged more and more. Um, so science is getting a bit bent here and there, but we'll see what. We'll yeah, I mean, people are, people tell Fauci every day that like he's just about to be fired, but like tell who? Um, Fauci. Um, what's his name? Anthony Fauci, the the lead scientist in the states. Why, why are you calling him Fauci? Isn't that his name? Like your best mate, Fauci. 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 I don't know. Oh, right. I thought it was like a buddy name. His last name was. No, something that is like his Fauci. last name. That's his last. I'm not. Oh, yeah, okay, I don't have fine. a pet name for him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. But the last Saturday Night Live last week opened with so a media person. I think maybe the week before asked Fauci um, if somebody was going to play you on TV or in a movie, who would it be? And he was like, oh, it would be cool if it was Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt opened Saturday Night Live last week as Fauci. And I'm like, the first skit on SNL tonight is about a scientist. Like that yeah, to me is pretty interesting. So. Yeah. No, for sure. And the, well, the good news, coming back to the point of positivity yes. as well, which I mentioned, um, we are in a time where we can build alternatives and we can find different ways to compete. So I think of Amazon, if the government isn't going to do anything, I think it's then down to us to offer alternatives. I mean, hey, let's look at Google. 
Google was certainly like, like if they're not a monopoly, they're surely borderline monopoly. I don't know what the laws say. I don't want to, you know, call them a monopoly if they're not. But we're doing something. Yeah. We're trying to get people away from using Google Analytics, which is part of the monopoly. And I do think it's going to be a gradual chipping away of things. Yeah. And even of our infrastructure, honestly, dude, I was thinking yesterday, right now we're using it. It's obviously the best on the market and everything else. As we see more and more options become available, you really think that we won't have the conversation of we should probably move. I mean, look at DHH. They're talking about um, reducing the reliance on Amazon. And again, when I read it, when I first read it, I thought, eh, yeah, I kind of get it. <laughs> but now I'm thinking more, this will be something we can do in the future, which we'll feel really good about and will be beneficial. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, just, I think you're, you're right on the money there. Just like Fathom is challenging Google. If somebody challenges AWS, then, hey, that's People it. People are, man. Yeah. People really are. It's exciting. Yeah. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. And I think... Yeah, it's tough because I understand what Justin's saying as well to bring it back to like local businesses and main streets versus big box stores and corporations. Yeah. I think it, I think for most people it's a mix. Like if I can, if it makes sense and is easy for me to buy something local, then I will. Like the coffee I like to drink, it costs about the same to buy it um, direct from the roaster that's local versus mm -hmm. probably good coffee on, if there is good coffee on Amazon probably isn't and to clarify amazon in canada uh, as far as food and groceries go is very different than amazon in the states where you can basically get every whole foods oh, item yeah, yeah so i think where i can i do try to see if there's a local option but if i can't find that quickly then amazon is fucking easy and quick so i will go buy whatever i need on amazon if I can't find it quickly and locally and that does like if they publish their shipping, I hate putting something in my cart and then having to fill stuff in and then get to shipping. And it's like $36. Well, it, I was going to say, it makes you think about um, what, ha what about if we just had some sort of global cart where everyone built their website into it? You mean and Shopify? You could just order from is well, shop. No, what I mean by, I mean, Shopify runs on your site, right? Yeah. And you check out through your site. I'm talking about, imagine you had like Google shopping, but something that isn't Google. Um, if you could shop from all these different places and you get a total and you have it just your accounts logged in but you end up buying from individual merchants yeah so diversification of um, of source yeah. I guess yeah I don't know it's a it's a it's a it's a dilly of a pickle as Ned Flanders would say so yeah I, I, just one more thought about Amazon as well you can't compete on price you can and even if you try and compete on service it's very very hard so is it the, when it becomes so hard to have a fair free market, is it the government's responsibility to step in? Maybe it is, you know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, as much as I, I like free markets and capitalism and freedom and all of that, I do think that there's a place where if corporations are lobbying and giving money to government and government officials, then there should be something that can combat that or level out the playing field where the general public can have an equal voice and if that means regulation then yeah i mean as much as i hate yeah regulation in general it seems like that isn't the worst thing in the world there are already limits on our freedom i don't like someone i can't go up and stab them there are limits on our freedom maybe this is just another form of that you are limited to have having x percent of market share um, but people that are listening would love to hear your thoughts as well. Obviously, I'm, I don't think about this a huge amount, but it's something that's on my mind. 
All right, let's listen to some of that delicious outro music and call it a call it an episode. Thank you.